All right, how many of you, how many of you have ever gone through life feeling unqualified at something? Raise your hand. I'd like to be the first one, unqualified. In fact, I will tell you, most of my life, uh, probably 90% of it, I feel unqualified in some area. I feel unqualified as a pastor, unqualified as a husband, unqualified as a parent. I mean, unqualified. I just felt that way. And a lot of times, you know, you kind of got to fake it till you make it. Do you know what I'm talking about? You go like, you, you, guys, you start a new job, and everybody says, you know what you're doing? You go, yeah, and you're going, I don't know what I'm doing here. I know they're going to fire me in a week because I don't have a clue. Can you relate to this or not? Yeah. All right, some of you again, some of you are just so confident. You go, no, I never felt this in my life. <laughs> well, you've never sinned either, so we, we love you. Amen. Okay, so I want to talk to you today about the unqualified qualified. If you're going to be qualified in the kingdom, you have to start with unqualified. You can't start with pride. You can't start with with arrogancy. You can't start with know-it-all. You can't start with any of those things. You have to start with pure humility before God. You know, there's something that happens when we humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God, that God has space to do something in our life. And what I want you to do today is just create some space today and say, God, I don't know what you want to do today in my life, but I want you to do it. I want to give you permission to move in my heart. You see, one thing I know is the past, your past does not disqualify you for your future. Sometimes we spend so much time worrying about what we've done wrong or opportunities we should have taken, or what would have been the right thing to do, or the best thing to do, that we miss out on what God is doing right now in your life. In fact, most of the things that you messed up on are the reason that you're successful today. Because it gave you a new outlook, it gave you a new perspective, it gave you a new stamina, it gave you a new strength, it gave you a new dependence on Almighty God. And that's a really good thing. Another thing is your family history does not disqualify you. You said, if I'd have just grown up in a better home, if I'd have had this, I'd have had that. You know what? You're not disqualified regardless what home you grew up on. And I, and I want to show you this in the life of Josiah today. We'll get to that in just a moment. But age does not disqualify you. You say, well, I'm too young or I'm too old or I'm just, right, I'm just not the right age for this thing. I remember when I first started pastoring, you know, I always looked uh, really young for my age. I still am, you know, look really young for my age. <laughs> But I looked at, you know, when I was like, started pastoring, I looked like I was like 15, you know, and people come up to me and go, oh, you remind me of my grandson. Well, you know, I'm the senior pastor, ma'am. I'd just like you to know that I'm old enough to be your pastor, but nobody believed it, you know, and then by the time, you know, you get to be old enough, they go, you're too old, we're looking for a young fella, you know, I mean, it's just you never, have you ever never fit? And that's how sometimes it is in life. But God doesn't care about your age, and it does not qualify you because of your inexperience. You know, you think about King David. He was the eighth son of Jesse. And when the father called, when the the prophet said, you have any sons, I'm looking to anoint a king of Israel, he called seven of them. He didn't even call the eighth one. And he, he went through seven of them, and he said, do you have any more? Because none of these guys fit. They're not right. The oil wouldn't pour out of the vessel to anoint the king. He said, well, yeah, I've got a young one, and he's, out, he's just watching out there watching a few sheep. And you see, he was demeaned in his family. He was the youngest. He was, he was given a tad, not even called to the big day of the anointing of the king. And the minute the prophet saw him, said, this is him. The Spirit of God said, this is the one. He was young. He wasn't particularly handsome. The Bible says he was freckle-faced. He was 
probably had red hair, you know, and, and that's not a negative. I'm just saying that's what the Bible says about him. And he looked at him and said, you know, you don't look like a king, but you are the king. Don't let anybody ever tell you're not a king or a queen. Do you hear what I said? That ought to be amens across this board. Don't let anybody tell you're not a king or a queen. You are, you are a king or a queen of the most high God. He created you in his image for a purpose, for a reason. He shaped you just the way you are for a purpose and for a reason. Don't try to be anybody else. God won't bless what he didn't make in you. You see, you've got you to see what God is doing as the unqualified qualified. Can you like that? I am the unqualified qualified. At some point in your life, you've probably felt unqualified. You've been told you were unqualified. You're not measuring up to what I expected in your life. We all fight those feelings of feeling unqualified. I have some good news. The Bible is filled with men and women who are unqualified for the job that God gave them. But God qualifies the unqualified. Amen? Josiah was not qualified on many levels to be the king of Israel. He was not qualified to do anything that he had been called to do. Hezekiah was his great-grandfather. Hezekiah was sick and dying, and he prayed that God would have mercy on him, and God extended his life 15 years. But in that 15 years, he gave birth to Manasseh, and Manasseh would be one of the most evil kings in the history of Israel, and he would have the longest reign. 55 years he would reign over Israel. He introduced paganism. He introduced all kinds of uh, evil into the country. And you look at it and you go, why would God extend his life? Why would God give him 15 more years so that he could give birth to a son named Hezekiah, named uh, Manasseh. And Manasseh, when Manasseh came to power, it was awful. And during that time, Manasseh had a son named Amon. And Amon was also evil. He was so hated and so evil, he only lasted two years, and then he was assassinated. Now think of that. You might ask, why would God extend his life when so much bad would come out of that? Because God always sees the big picture. You see, you look at your life like a dot on a piece of paper. God looks like it on a line with no ending. He says, you don't understand what I'm doing with your life, but I guarantee you that dot you're focused on is not what I'm focused on. I'm focused on the big picture in your life and what I want to do. You see, Hezekiah needed a son to keep the line of the Messiah intact. If you looked at the genealogy of Jesus, guess who you'll find? You'll find Manasseh. Ammon, and then you'll see Josiah. You see, God was looking at the Messiah. He wasn't looking at the dot. He said, no, big picture, Hezekiah has to have a son. We have to keep the messianic line coming. So Jesus, when he comes, he'll fit the qualifications of the prophecy. So when Josiah comes, becomes king, he had a lot to overcome. He was only eight years of age. How would you like to be king at eight years of age? His father and his grandfather had a horrible reputation. His father was so hated, as I said earlier, he was assassinated two years into his reign. Josiah didn't know anything about being a king. But I want you to hear this. But he didn't let that stop him. What are you letting stop you for doing what God has called you to do? You have to push that out of the way. You say, that's not going to stop me. Will you just practice with me so you get it right when you get out of here? That's not going to stop me. 
All right, now watch what happens here. The real challenge came to Josiah when he, was, when he was just 16 years old. The Bible says he began to seek the Lord. You know, everything changes when you begin to seek the Lord. When he was 20, by the time he was 20, he had destroyed all the pagan temples in Israel. And it was hard, and people opposed him, and they said it couldn't be done. It wouldn't work, but he didn't give up. You know why? Because he didn't let that. Let's try it again. You haven't got it right yet. But he didn't let that stop him. Don't let anything stop you when God puts it in your heart. The real challenge came when he was 26 years of age. They began to repair the temple. And it looked like he was a great reformer and great things were happening. But you see, it was just the beginning of what God was going to do. Don't get so excited about the beginning that you miss out on the middle and the end. Amen? Because God wants to do more than you think he wants to do. Well, they began to repair the temple. And it was in disarray. And they went in and they discovered as they were cleaning it out, the book of the law. For us, that would be called the Bible. They weren't reading the Bible. They weren't studying the Bible. They were going through just religion, just going through the motions of religion, and it wasn't changing anybody's life. It was just making it better, but it wasn't transformational. God wants to do transformational work in our life. Can you say amen? amen. Transformational. They found the book of the law. No one was reading it. No, they were all indifferent. They didn't care, but guess what? Joshua, Josiah did not let that all right, we got, you got to be a little quicker here. You know, if you were in a gunfight, you'd be dead right now. All right, let's try it again. But he did not let that. I didn't feel good to be good at something. Amen. Look, you're good at it. Let's try one part. But he didn't let that. Oh, you're getting better. I think a third time's a charm. He didn't let that. Oh, my goodness. I could preach all day. You said, why did I say that? All right. You see, if we're going to not let anything stop us, we got to do what Josiah did. First thing he did is we have to do what he did, and that is return to the Bible. Return to the Bible. You have to do more in the Word of God than what you do on Sunday morning with me. You have to be in the Word of God every day. You have to be feeding from that fresh manna every single day and say, God, speak to me, speak to me. Do you have a word for me? What do you have for me, God? You'd be surprised what God can do when you start reading. I took my Bible out, I just started reading the story of Josiah, and I'd read it many times, and I just started underlining things in my Bible. I said, wow, I never saw that before. I know it was in there, but I saw it with my spiritual eye for the first time. You say, well, I know that scripture. I've memorized it. Just read it again and say, Spirit of God, speak to me. You'll be surprised what the Spirit of God will do. Let's look at the scripture, 2 Kings chapter 22. Josiah was eight years old when he became, when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. If somebody was having your funeral today, could they stand up and say that about you? All the days of his or her life, they did what was right in the sight of God. Now, we're not talking about perfection. Josiah wasn't perfect. He got it wrong a lot. But the pattern of his life was, I'm going to seek to please God. And if I, if I mess up, if I fall down, if I make a mistake, if I sin, what I'm going to do is I'm going to confess before the Lord, and I'm going to keep heading in the direction of God. Amen? Because I want to do what's right in the eyes of the Lord. And it says, and he walked in all the ways of his father, David. Did you notice he didn't, give not, he didn't give credit to Hezekiah, Manasseh, or Ammon? 
because he knew he was in that messianic line, and it would be on the throne of David one day that the coming Messiah would sit and reign over all the earth. Now, that's very significant. He did not turn aside to the right or to the left. What does that mean? He kept his eyes looking straight ahead. The Bible says the righteous man falls seven times but rises again. But the wicked fall in the day of calamity. You see, it's, it's not that you don't mess up. It's not that you don't fall down. But can you get back up? Just get back up. I remember when I was first saved. I haven't told this story. I got a lot of first saved stories that I shouldn't tell. But anyway, this is a first saved story. And uh, so I had been saved not too long, and I and, uh, was attending this church, and, it was, and I was in college, and so they were all going roller skating. And I'm just not good at roller skating. My, my wife, good roller skater. I'm not a good roller skater, all right? And I mean, just look at me. You just look at him. You say, he's not nimble on, a, on wheels. You can tell that by looking at me. Well, I wasn't any better then. So I'm out there. I think, I'm going to give it a try. So I get out there. I'm rolling around, and, and uh, I didn't get very far till I fell. And, you know, I was surprised how hard you can it, you can fall and hit when you're on wheels. I mean, my feet went out in front of me. I was probably, I don't know, 15 feet in the air. I hit the ground so hard it would have killed an average man. And I mean, I'm telling you, I'm hurting. And I let out with the loudest profanity you could ever imagine. Now remember, I'm at a church camp. Have you ever been those moments where time stops? And everybody stops and looks at you, and there is no sound in the room. That was me. And there I was, down on the ground, and everybody's looking, going like, what? Well, how did he get to camp? You know what I mean? And a, a friend of mine, a new friend of mine, skated over to me. He helped me up. He said, hey, don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. You know, I, I still remember that as a moment of acceptance and grace in my early life. Because, yeah, did I, should I have not said that? Absolutely. Did it feel appropriate to me and my spiritual life right then? Absolutely. <laughs> Would I do it again? I hope not. That's why I don't get out on roller skates, amen? But you see, it's not that you fall down. It's that you get back up. Amen. Sometimes you need someone to help you get back up, Amen. You say, I don't know how to get back up. And, and that's why the community of faith is so important that we help one another get back up. You know, in the book of Amos, chapter 8 and verse 11, the Bible says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor of the thirst for water, but of the hearing of the word of the Lord. I wonder if we're living in that famine. A famine where people aren't hearing the word of God. They're not reading the word of God. They're not studying the word of God. Last week, we talked about the Zedekim and, the, and those who are the, the righteous. Remember, there are three classes of people, the righteous, the indifferent, and the evil. And most of society is made up of the indifferent. That's why the Bible says that broad is a road that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to life because most people are indifferent or they just don't care about God whatsoever. But you have to, as, as we get close to return of the Lord, you have to be more and more in the Word of God. You have to be more and more in the Word of God. You say, well, I've got a Bible. I can read it anytime I want. Well, I don't know what the future holds, do you? I, I can tell you this. 90% of all Bibles are printed in China, and they are owned by, and there's not one Bible publisher that's owned by a Christian. You tell me, what does that do to the future of a Bible? You say, well, I better store up. No, you better read up. Amen? 
You better read up. Get that inside of you so you're ready. So God says there's coming a day there's going to be a famine for hearing the word of God. You might not be qualified like Josiah, but don't give up. You need to do the second thing that he did and remove the idols from your life. Remove the idols from your life. 2 Kings chapter 23. The workers with familiar spirits and wizards and the images and the idols did Josiah put away that he might perform the words of the law which were written in the book that Hilkiah the high priest found in the house of the Lord. Now notice what it says. He put away the familiar spirits, the wizards and the images and the idols. You see, an idol in your life is anything that is contrary or pulls away from your dependence and devotion to God. If you say, I don't have time to read the Bible, but you've got time for Netflix, I'm just saying, there might be an idol there somewhere. You say, well, it doesn't look like an idol. I don't fall down and worship it. Sure you do. Just let your internet go out and see how you feel. How about let God stop talking to you? How do you feel? How about God stop blessing you? How do you feel? You see, God wants to call us back to devotion. Put away the things that aren't familiar, I mean, that aren't necessary in our life. Put away the familiar spirits. Put away the wizard. You say, well, I don't believe in all that stuff. Really? Do you... Do you know what sign of the zodiac you're under? You shouldn't even know it. Because your life then is based on fate and not faith. It was designed to, to be contrary to God. I had a lady one time, she drove me crazy. I'd just gone to this church and, and it was kind of reception for the new pastor. And she said, what, now what sign are you under? And I said, no, I don't, I don't do that. No, 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 really, just when's your birthday? I, no, I really don't do that. And finally, I said, listen, I, I do know my sign. I want to tell you, I'm under the sign of the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ. She was so mad, I don't think she ever talked to me again. She was so caught up in that junk that she couldn't see the reality of what it was all about. That's what he's talking about here. If you've got some zodiac, you've got some familiar spirits, you've got some of this stuff in your life, you need to clean it out. Can you say clean it out? Yeah. Now, some of you say, well, I feel a little guilty. Don't feel guilty, just get rid of it. Amen? I remember when I was a first Christian, I didn't really know, I didn't know what to, I was like so fanatical. I mean, I was like crazy fanatical. And we had some stuff and uh, some old records and stuff. And I said, Timmy, I don't know, these things might have demons in them. I don't know, but I think we'd better burn them. Man, we had a plaque, and I, I said, we're going to go out here, we're going to burn this stuff, chop it up, you know, and just get rid of it. You know, I don't know if it was the right thing to do or not, but it felt really good, and it was out of my house. You got to clean the house once in a while, amen? You ever been to somebody's house, they never clean it? Don't you ever clean this place? It's like a dump. We just had like all our grandkids at our house for Christmas, and, and I went up to the room where the, the, the three boys were hanging out, and I'm going, my God, what happened in here? This is unbelievable. I said, hey, do you guys have any of the, the towels for the pool? Well, yeah, somewhere around here, and they dug out underneath a pile of clothes about four wet towels. Well, something's wrong with that picture. Something's wrong with boys, amen? Right, amen? Women, I don't know why you marry one. I mean, look at us, right? But you see, think about that picture now. Now put it in your life. Is your, do you have any rooms in your house that look like that? Just out of order. You don't even know what's in there. You got some old, wet, damp towels that are going to probably mold and mildew. You got to get stuff out of your life. 
I don't, you know, you don't have to tell people. You, they know. The minute I say this, you're going like, I know what you're talking about. I ain't telling you, but I know what you're talking about. Amen? Because the elephant's in the room in your heart. God, I want to get that out of my life. I just want that out of my life. Look at what 2 Chronicles 23 says. All the people went over to the temple of Baal. Now, Baal was the, was the, uh, uh, the, the god of agriculture and the god that demanded sacrifice, and it controlled the people's destiny. And it says they went over to the temple there at, of Baal, and they tore it down. They demolished all the altars, and they smashed the idols. You see what they did? They took action against the stuff in their life that was controlling their destiny. Don't let stuff control your destiny. Let God give you direction, amen? The Bible says all who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. We wanna let the Spirit of God lead us into what we do. You see, another thing that, that he did was he renewed his covenant with God. Look at 2 Kings 23, 21. The king, king commanded all the people saying, keep the Passover to the Lord your God. Isn't it interesting the king had to say that to a religious people? You need to remember the sacrifice. You need to remember the deliverance. You need to remember that God redeemed you with an outstretched arm and took you out of Egypt and brought you into a land flowing with milk and honey, a, a land of promise. You need to remember that. Keep the Passover as is written in the book of the covenant. You see, God wants to call us back to the basics, just to the simple thing. You know, Christianity is not that complicated. Love God, love your neighbor, love yourself. Read the Bible, walk in the Spirit, turn away from sin, seek the Lord, look for his return. I mean, it's really simple. There's just like, you can do it on two hands. Just do those things. Well, I don't know where to start in the Bible. Just start in Matthew. Just start reading and don't get in a hurry. You know, say, I want to read the Bible through in a year. That's fine. But sometimes we read so fast, we don't know what he's saying to us. That's how I used to read books in college, Amen. Did you read that book? I did. How, it took me eight minutes to read a 400-page book. This could have explained some of my grades. I don't know. But anyway, when you read the Bible, what you do, here's how you do it. You stop, you open it up, and you pray first. You say, God, I want to get something from this. I need something from the Word. Holy Spirit, will you speak to me? Holy Spirit, fill me right now and just give me something because I need something from your Word. And I'm not going to be in her, and if you, it's only one verse. It might only be one verse, and you're going like, let me just meditate. Now you stop, you read it, and say, now I just want to think about what you just said, God. And just let it kind of, kind of settle in on you. And as it settles in, you say, Spirit of God, is there something you want me to, to should I keep reading? And you just keep reading until the Spirit of God stops you. And God will give you insight because, you see, the Holy Spirit is your teacher, he said, well, I don't understand the Bible sometimes. Just slow down and let him interpret it for you. Just let him do it. Quit trying to do it. You say, if I just got another translation. Some of you got like 15 translations. You don't read any of them. Am I lying? No, you all know. All right, let's just do a little experiment here. We'll have a little fun. If you have three or more Bibles at home that belong to you, would you raise your hand? If you have four or more Bibles, would you raise your hand? Five or more? Six or more? Man, you're hanging in there, brother. You must have like 20. <laughs> ten, or more, 10 or more? This guy. All right back here. How about 15 or more? You're the guy. Or stand up. Now look at this man. 
All right, give him, put your hands together. Give him a... If you ever need a Bible, just go see him, amen? He's got more Bibles in his bookstore than we do in our store, amen? All right, now, now what I want to do is I want to take you to the book of Acts because there's a reason. Do you know that Josiah brought about reform and revival in the land? And he did it with those three things. He did it with those three things. I don't know about you, but I want to see God move in our land, amen? It's not going to be because some politician. It's not going to be because, you know, a bunch of extra laws are given to us. It's going to be because of the Spirit of God. we got to get back to the Holy Spirit, amen? In Acts chapter 3, verse 17 through 21, he talks about this matter of revival and renewal, but he uses terms like the times of refreshing and the time of restoration. Now watch what the Scripture says. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of the prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he is thus fulfilled. So he's talking about the death of, of Christ. He says, I know you didn't know what you were doing. You thought you took his life. You didn't take his life. He gave it freely. He wasn't a victim. He was a sacrifice. He could have called a legion of angels to deliver him in that moment. But he wanted to be your victor, and he's never your victim. And it says, this is what God has fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sin may be blotted out. What was the first step? We have to repent. We have to say, I'm not doing that anymore. And if I do it again, it's not going to be the pattern of my life, and I'll confess my sin, and I'll move on. We got to call each other back to repentance, that our sins might be blotted out. You ever spilled something? You spilled. You ever been at somebody's house and you spilled something on the floor? Nobody saw you do it. You're sneaking around trying to blot it out. Come on, right? Spill something on their nice chair, their dining room chair. Got a big spot of grease on there. While nobody's looking, you change chairs so your neighbor gets it. But you blot it out. You put that towel down and you try to get everything that's in there out so it looks right. You see what God does, he takes that divine towel and he puts it on you. And he sucks out all the poison. Takes out all the sin. Takes out all the, all the stuff that doesn't, shouldn't be there. He's blotting it out. He's making you new. That's what, that's what happens in revival. That's what happens in reformation. Amen? And he says that your sins might be blotted out so that what? The times of refreshing may come. You see, you don't get the times of refreshing without repentance. Well, I want a revival. Repent. No, you don't understand. No, I do understand. I don't have a personal revival unless I repent. Until I'm honestly looking at myself and say, I feel unqualified. And God says, well, here's why you're unqualified, because this, this, and this in your life. Stop doing that, and you'll be qualified. Oh. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord. You know what, the, you know what the, the presence of the Lord is? It's the face of God. That he may say in Jesus Christ who preached, was preached to you before whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration. You see, times of refreshing are promised in Scripture. I'm going to show you that in just a minute. But there is coming a time of restoration where God makes all things new. That's the end of the age. 
So what he's done here, he's taken and he's given you a timeline, a time of refreshing and then a time of reformation of all things which God's spoken of by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. If you study your Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you're going to find something very interesting. You're going to find there was two great visitations of the Holy Spirit. One we've seen, one we're waiting on. One we've seen on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out and it was transformational for all society. The Bible calls that the early rain. The Bible says there's coming a latter rain. Can you say that, an early rain? And a what? A latter rain. We've seen the early rain. We're living in the power of the early rain. The power of the Holy Spirit, when you come into faith in Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit comes in you. That's the only explanation of your life. But there's coming a great move of God in the latter days. The latter days is referred to as a time of refreshing. Before Christ returns, God is going to have a revival of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit before his return. You see, Satan fears that the people of God will remove every hindrance so the Lord can pour out his spirit upon the church. Every temptation, whether open or secret, may be successfully resisted in the power of God. The Bible says it's not by my my might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. How are you going to win? The Spirit of God. Listen to it, Zechariah 10.1. Ask the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain. There it is, Zechariah. How about James 5.7? Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until he receives the early and the latter rain. Oh, he's not just talking to farmers there. He's talking to his people. Joel 2.23 promises both the former and the latter rain. Be glad then, ye children of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you former rain moderately. You see, when he compares the former rain to the latter rain, he says it's in moderation. What happened at Pentecost is in moderation. That's just a little bit. God wants to do a lot. Do you want to see God do a lot in your life? I mean, I do. Amen? I don't want to see God do just a little bit. I want to see God do a lot. Moderately, he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, yes, and the latter rain. The former rain's moderate. The latter rain is great. But we've got to do what Joshua did. Let's go back over and look at those things again. We've got to, number one, return to the Word of God. We can't ever say the Bible says that, but. We can't say that's fine for you, but not for me. The Bible is the word of the living God. It is the very breath of God. Without it, we have no life. The Bible says that even faith comes by hearing the word of God. Not only that, we've got to remove idols from our life. We've got to say, God, I just want you to show me in my life what I need to deal with. What is that I need to get rid of today? And just one by one, just start at the top and say, I'm just going to give that up. I'm going to give that up. And then we've got to renew our covenant before God. It's not complicated, it's pretty simple. But I wanna position us for 24 so that we are ready. If God pours out his spirit in a mighty way in the latter rain, we're gonna be ready for it. That we can have an experience of the spirit of God on a daily basis, that we are transformed into the very likeness of Jesus Christ. And we're we're not just, Christianity is not a hobby, it's not just something we do. 
It's a lifestyle, amen? It's a lifestyle. So here's what I wanna ask you to do. I want you to all stand with me. This is gonna take a little bit of work on your part. First thing I want you to do is I just want you to bow your head and I want you to repeat after me these words. Dear Jesus, I will return to the Word of God. I will study it more. I will read it more. I will commit myself to it more. Secondly, I will remove idols from my life. Anything that gets in the way of me loving you, I take it off the off my table one by one. I just get it out of my life. I remove idols from my life. Say, I remove idols in Jesus' name. The third thing is renew your covenant before God. God, you made an agreement with me that you would walk with me and I would walk with you. I wanna renew that covenant in the blood of the Lamb I want to be powerfully, mightily dedicated to you in Jesus' name.